Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. The only podcast you need for your business. Let's do this. Welcome to the Sales versus Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Scott. Join me as we explore and demystify the latest trends, technologies, and strategies used to achieve massive growth in 10x businesses. I'll be sitting down with sales, marketing, and business leaders to dissect what's worked for them, dispel myths, and deliver actionable insights that you can use to ensure repeatable, sustainable, and predictable revenue in your business. Thank you so much for joining us on the Sales versus Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary, and today I am super excited to be sitting down with Howard Lindzen, a fellow Canadian. Uh, he is a Canadian author, a financial analyst, technical analyst, and a super angel investor. So uh, Lindzen manages a hedge fund. Uh, he's a managing partner of Social Leverage. Uh, he's a limited partner at Knightsbridge Capital Partners, co-founder of StockTwits, and, uh, and has a, a tenured history in both investing at early seed stages, also uh, managing, running, and exiting his own companies, uh, and just being a general uh, a knowledge and knowledge powerhouse for both uh, financial and uh, early stage uh, venture backed businesses, uh, technology. Uh, he's done quite a bit in his career, and I'm really, really excited to, to speak with him. So, Howard, um, if you can, like, give us a little bit of uh, like a 360 of, of your origin story, where you've come from, um, and we can, we can go into that a little bit, and then we'll speak about what you're doing now. Was. Well, <clears throat> Thanks uh, for that intro. Um, I was born in Toronto, school there, went to Western, um, probably parted a little too hard, ended up back in the day at Windsor, which you know was kind of like prison for Torontonians. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> but had a great year there, ended up uh, doing well, spending a lot of time in, in, in Michigan at basketball games, Fab Five era, and uh, always wanted to move to Arizona where I am today with a 10-year stint in San Diego. So, so out, of that, out of that background, you came from, you came from Western. Um, what were you doing coming out of university? That, was there anything that looked like what you're doing now? Um, what, what was your actual background in that you wanted to go into coming out of school? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing back then was, you know, it was, you know, I grew up in a wealthy, semi-wealthy, I guess, I mean, depends, uh, seemed wealthy, uh, <laughs> Jewish community, um, 
<clears throat> Forest Hill, and all my friends were lawyers, doctors. I mean, back then, pre-internet, and Toronto wasn't like an entrepreneur. There was, I don't think entrepreneur was like a cool thing. So you were supposed to be a professional, you know, lawyer, doctor, yeah. accountant. And I just ran away from that or sabotage it or whatever I did to, in a way, not be those three things. And uh, <clears throat> my first job was at uh, 1987, coming out of Western with not great grades and not want to go to law school or whatever, just working at a small brokerage in Yorkville. Um, no training. And I was working in the back office, so taking orders. And back then there was no real computer system. So it was all by hand. So it's pretty interesting. And then like a few months into my job, the stock market crashed and I was basically out of work. So, um, so that was my brief stint. And that's what made me have to go back to school. There was no real mentorship, you know, cause you had to be a professional. So you had to just keep going to school or just get a job. And I didn't really have a network. Uh, <clears throat> so, so I think, you know, back then it just took a lot longer for people to, to kind of accelerate themselves forward. Hence, you know, we call our firm social leverage. We live in this area era today, 30 years later, where, you know, my 20 year old niece, nieces and nephews are so networked and have yeah. so much more knowledge. Like we keep making fun of this younger generation, but like, Oh my God, they're 10 times ahead of where I was at 20. Well, the access, like, like you said, the access to information, the ability to like have any choice in what you do, at any time is just at the you know you you sign on to uh, to a computer and you're you can educate yourself for free now you can go to you know podcasts audibles youtube and learn quite a bit about literally any uh any job you'd ever want to do if it doesn't require a professional designation to actually do it um it's it's very easy to ramp up so like back when you're speaking about you 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 had a stint in a brokerage in the back office went back to school um, what actually prompted you after school to, well, actually, what did you do after school? What was, what was your thing after, after university? Well, school was more school, right? Like I was just yeah. kind of, uh, no one was pushing me and, uh, <clears throat> I had a pretty charm life. So went to, uh, Arizona state for my MBA in a school called Thunderbird for a master's in international management. Now my whole goal was to live in the States. So I had to get sponsored, you know, for a green card. And, yeah. and I ended up becoming a stockbroker again. Well, no, this time I'm actually a stockbroker. And back in 1991, uh, the, uh, so I became a stockbroker and I was cold calling. And uh, that was uh, pre-internet, you know. and you'd, pick up the phone and try and get through to rich people and have to go through their secretaries. And it was a pretty miserable existence. Uh, but I love the stock market. So luckily for me, um, I just kind of got the bug and, yeah. you know, for the next 10, 15 years and even through today, I continue to make mistakes, but I mean, the stock market getting exposure, good or bad to that career has kind of became my passion. And, and just getting getting a bug for something, you're obviously, uh, you know, you've I guess proven out your success at this point in your life. But how how did you become successful in? You started off cold calling. I'm assuming you eventually moved to to higher level positions. 
more responsibility, managing larger clients. Um, what, what sort of propelled you forward? Was it mentorship or was it just self like drive passion that you wanted to learn more because you didn't come from any formal background. You said you didn't have a, a network that really supported this at the beginning. So what, what sort yeah, of, I mean, I was that? getting my green card. I was, uh, you know, the guy, my first, the guy who hired me for my first real job as a broker trained me was a really smart guy. And he was like from Minnesota, moving to Arizona and he, Pat Ryle. And, um, the the thing that he taught me was just follow the you know to be successful in the brokerage business you know find companies stick with them that you know have great earnings and uh, that meant nothing to a twenty year old twenty five six year old yeah so we were just trying to survive and get commissions so the whole business was screwed up still is but uh, he always gave me good advice it was like you know he would talk about Medtronic back in the early 90s and probably should have just held on to that stock. So he was from Minnesota where a lot of great companies were headquartered. But I mean, the real thing for me was it was just a stepping stone, right? When you're calling all day yeah. and looking at the newspaper to find out who rich people are so that you could try and uh, be their broker. Uh, in the end, it was inevitable. You know, I found uh, a company that I ended up, you know, going to invest in and work for. So I really left the business after a couple of years to go work at a startup called The Grip, which kind of became the pet rock uh, of the ad specialty business. So kind of my first angel investment slash career move just before the internet started was it a, as like as un-internet a company as possible. It was a, uh, a latex, uh, it, was a, it was a stress ball company called The Grip. <laughs> And we sold millions and millions of, of, of units on QVC, which was QVC was the internet before the internet, except the internet of QVC was just thousands of people answering phones uh, with goofball products on TV. So, so I kind of stumbled into that through a cold call and my own instincts uh, with a very small amount of money. And the grip became kind of a legendary product of the early 90s. And that was like your, your kickoff into startup culture, entrepreneurism. Um, yeah, it was the worst thing yeah. that could happen. I was extremely successful with yeah. my first company. It was kind of like, and we made every mistake. I don't think I made every mistake, but it wasn't my company. It was just, you know, I was kind of the COO, even though I was, yet, you know, because I was the MBA in the room. It was a local yeah. entrepreneur named Mark Scatterday, who, who I'm still friends with. And we're now in our, he was in his 20s. Now we're all in our 50s. but. Uh, he had just invented this product and we stumbled and bumbled and got the QVC account and, and, uh, we just, you know, from there made every mistake cause we thought we were so smart. Uh, but the key, the key takeaway from that very first business and applies to why software is eating the world today is that we had incredible margins. So when you have incredible margins, you can make incredible amount of mistakes uh, and at the grip, even though we were, you know, not an internet software company, we were a manufacturing company. We would make this product for 20 cents or 30 cents and sell it for $2, $3, $4, uh, at even wholesale. Uh, and so we were making money before we shipped the product and that can yeah. be all kinds of, uh, that doesn't happen in real life very often. So it was a huge success despite our own ineptness. And, uh, you know, the lesson is when you have high gross margins, you can make a lot of mistakes. So I, I really like gross the, margins matter. I mean, gross margins matter. Yeah. 
Well, no, of course, if you're 80, 90 plus percent margin, um, even if you ship a few widgets, you're still doing quite well. Um, so after, after that, then, uh, then you're, you've, you've been massively successful at QVC or at the grip rather. Um, is that when you sort of started in investing in other ventures, uh, you started a hedge fund and you were looking at, uh, like sort of spreading your wealth and looking to invest in, in that kind of thing. Is that roughly when you started doing that? Yeah, I mean, we argued all the time about what to do with the proceeds. You know, I kind of now had money to be in the markets, and it was the boom in the 90s, healthcare boom and NASDAQ boom, semiconductor boom and the internet boom. I mean, it was just, it was the first mania, and it was pre-mania. The internet hadn't even started. It was just software and technology and the beginnings of the internet and healthcare. It was just crazy. The 90s were crazy. And uh, at least we're making money. And, um, you know, the ultimate business would be was starting a hedge fund. Now I had money. Mark uh, at the grip had money. And I just went out and raised, I think, about $10 million and said, I'm just going to trade for a living with other people's money and started a hedge fund. But that's, so the second you start, uh, so a hedge fund, you were not actually investing in other companies yet. That wasn't. No, it's just public yeah. markets, you know. It was gotcha. just like, th that was the cool thing in the 90s. Uh, was to, even though I had no experience in the markets really, it was just like, people trust me, I'll go, like, like what a venture capital fund is today. Yeah. Because um, the markets were, you know, you had mutual funds and you could compete against mutual funds because they had high fees themselves. And, and how do you, um, how do you consciously take 10 million of other people's money when you're, when you're not sure what you're doing? And first of all, have the nerves to do that and, and also still be successful because that's now there's a lot of onus on, on you, a lot of responsibility placed on your shoulders. Yeah. I don't know if I was successful. I did it for 18 years. Uh, that's successful it, enough. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I think the lesson of that is I never loved it other than yeah. the first, other than the setting up of the business and competing against everybody in the world for returns is a ludicrous thing. And hence Vanguard exists, which says, listen, you know, and the same thing will happen one day. We can talk about it at the, at the very end. It's going to happen to venture capital one day is it'll just get automated. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there'll always be some alpha and, and we swing between. But you know, I got into the hedge fund business at probably the tail end of when it was cool to be a hedge fund and survive. But in two, by 2005, Vanguard, it was clear to me that uh, indexing clear to me at least as a trend follower that index it was a you're batting your head against the wall as the mutual funds are going away and index funds were starting and it's like you can't charge the same fees yada yada yeah. yada but how did i raise 10 million it's you know you have trust your people trusted me they thought i was smart you weren't i wasn't going to steal anybody's money so you know you know as long as you know that's that's how it starts and mm -hmm. to get bigger you have to have returns i think people forget that you know it's everybody you know in a bull market uh, it's rather easy to raise money, and then you know, '98, uh, uh, the I forget the the crisis in Japan or or the long term debt. There's so many crises over the 30 years or so that I've been investing, but that's when it really uh, comes down to who knows what they're doing. And I didn't, but I survived and I survived relatively better than everybody else, and that's kind of how it goes. But it was it, it was still not like your passion. You would say when you're doing when you're no, doing it was that. you know it really was, and then you have a family and kids, so you're not going to just yeah. kind of get stuck. 
And uh, again, without mentorship, I was just kind of surviving. Uh, and then in 2005, I started, you know, getting into the idea of, you know, because the markets were getting harder, I got into the idea of investing in startups again. And um, into my office walked uh, the team from Golf Now, actually the father of the team from Golf Now. And I was a golfer and a passionate golfer, and Golf Now was a Phoenix company. And they pitched me Golf Now, and I invested right away. And that uh, became a, a big company. I invested in LifeLock right after, which was a local Phoenix company. And uh, it was a multi-billion dollar exit. So I kind of got lucky in a way. Two great companies were local Phoenix companies. And yeah. I saw them early and had the instinct to invest. And slowly, I just became more interested again in doing private investing versus the public markets, which yeah. lucky was a good timing to go into the private market uh, and venture capital. Back then, you know, you startups were valued at under a million dollars. So it was a good time to be doing software media investing. Um, so a lot of it is timing and then mentorship, right? At that time, 2005, Twitter hadn't started, but the blogging, everybody was blogging. And, um, and uh, guys, some of the best venture capitalists in the world, I didn't know who they were at the time, but they were showing up in search results as I searched for term sheet and other things. And luckily for me, they were the best in the world at what they do. And that, those, that, that was the initial kind of aha moment around internet. So the aha moment for the internet came for me in like 2005 with blogging and uh, blog roles and just how people were connected, how smart people were connected. And then how much free information the, these smartest the experts yeah. in their industries were giving away. Because that, that sort of speaks to some of the, the projects you took on, like Wall Strip that, uh, that you yeah. saw at CBS. There were so um, many. Yeah. We're not appreciative, but the big bang moments of, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all happening kind of at the same time as, as access. You know, everybody kind of been on ramp through AOL and suffered through the first iteration of the web and Yahoo. And now we have Google search, YouTube, um, you know, soon to follow. Well, obviously the BlackBerry at the time and then soon to follow the smartphone. I mean, you're talking about and we're only still 13 years after that. So, like, you know, and I was already 40 when the internet became a thing, a real thing, like mm -hmm. post bubble. So it's just like. Yeah, but I you rode the wave well, like uh, more than. More well, than it would be hard not to ride the wave again. I think you have to. Yeah, I mean, I, I got it and I was a little bit lucky and I positioned myself, but it would be really hard as a 40 year old with an open mind not to have gotten rich with that, with that kind of big bang moment. Now, I mean, obviously I've had a great run on top of it, but it's been an incredible opportunity that just happened. I wish it happened when I was 30, but it didn't, you know, yeah. and uh, I was 40 and I just kind of dropped everything and went all in on the internet. One thing I want to I want to go back to I want to speak um, briefly about stock twits and and you being so bullish on Twitter and that that piece of 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 you. But 
Um, and I'll go back to uh, some of the other companies that you've invested in your portfolio. Um, but what I wanted to sort of highlight here is the fact that you brought up a really good point. None of this really happened until, like, of course, you were successful before, um, relatively successful, but compared to where you're at now, none of this happened until much later in your life. And you mentioned that, you know, your niece has, is 20, I think you said, and she has access to all this information. And everybody has access to all this information, which is good, and it enables you to be successful um, much earlier. But I also think that everybody is very impatient. And I think that that could be to your detriment as well. You could, if you, have you could be the old angry Simpsons guy waving your hat saying that, but you can't blame a t my son who's 20 uh, for being impatient. I mean, everything works. They're, you know, people say, well, oh, they're socialists. Yeah, well, they, they are socialists, not because they think everybody should have money, but they have an iPhone. Everything, mm -hmm. every, kid, every person should have that ability to at least have a smartphone in this day and age. And, uh, once everybody has a smartphone, that's why wealth is going up, and that's why uh, you know maybe wars eventually are not as important. Obviously, technology around wars, you know, with drones and everything. But once people get a taste of of making a living, they just yeah. lose the interest in fighting, right? Um, which is why this era it's so dangerous right now. It's people are fighting over what seems like crazy, stupid things in America. Uh, but you know, going back to my son, when they have, when you have this abundance, of course, people are going to be more spoiled, you know. Um, but they're spoiled in in much a way that, like, leave me alone. I don't need things. I don't need the Porsches and clothes. You know, give me my, you know, I'll shop at Lulu every quarter for the few basic things I need. I'll 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 go on trips. I don't need to buy a second and first and fourth home. Uh, so you know, it's just different. And yeah. that's a great, that's a great thing. And, uh, same with media, right? We started with YouTube videos and cat videos and, and now we're now there's, you know, there's endless podcasts. You could listen to podcasts, you know, forever and, and never get through, you know, a fraction of what's out there. So, so, so again, you know, this, this mentorship, I wrote about it today, just being a mentor. It's like, you know, all you can do is, is kind of pay it forward. And with my kids and with my nieces and nephews, yeah, they're, they're kind of spoiled, but they're just, you can't blame them when they grew up with all this abundance of, of product and knowledge and entertainment and, you know, Uber and Netflix, Snapchat, uh, and now the AirPods. I think that, that that'll be the next revolution. It's truly one of the greatest products of all time. Um, and uh, so we just, just when you think it can't be topped, it gets topped because yeah. you know, uh, audio is, is, is the new screen. Do you think that, that having all that access though, because there's nothing wrong, like you, like you mentioned, you don't want to be the, the old man waving the hat, angry at all the kids. It's not, that's not the vibe that you really want to, <laughs> you really want to have, but do you think that it, it hurts their career expectations? Or their their financial expectations uh, from where they when they're when they're have access to all this information this, they you, this, do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, but it's the natural order of things. The corporations have got too much power and they deserve to die. So so the fact that you know we we hate the corporations they're wrecking America at many levels, right? They're buying politics, and the only way that that you know so maybe it's a good thing the kids want to hop jobs every three years and say fuck mm -hmm. you to the corporations because those corporate it's all about getting the talent. And if you don't have the talent, you die. 
and um so it raises the bar it, it, it well i'm saying it's, it's its own way of uh destruction you know it seems like uh just when it seems like social network are intolerable tiktok comes along and kids don't yes. care about the same things they cared about just a year ago right they're just leaning back and laughing and sharing videos and creating videos and they don't care how many followers they have and it doesn't really mean anything versus you know facebook became all about your parents and yelling about politics so yeah. just when it looked over you know tiktok comes along and then just when the smart just looked like when it looks like apple was rolling over there they came up with the airpods uh so you never you got to constantly be on the lookout for for you know what's coming around the corner and i think you can't blame kids seeing this amount of creative destruction over the last 10 years that they're not going to be loyal to much so again it's just it is what it is you know you can't you can't you have to kind of take a step back it's helped having kids go through this and watch them is uh this is all so new but um it's also kind of interesting to watch them no um that's uh yeah that's it's a good uh, it's a good perspective um i want to i want to speak about stock twits um and i want to understand I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com 
Com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed 
on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Uh, I want to understand why out of all the social media networks, uh, it seems like you're very bullish on Twitter. And obviously, I think that sort of led to the, your, your company. Um, why, was, yeah. why, why was that out of everything? Well, I'm not bullish on Twitter anymore. I think it's the best product other than the AirPods. Uh, you know, Twitter's probably the best product. You know, kids today would say TikTok and Snapchat, and I won't argue with them there. But, for, you know, I'm the last guy to leave a bar at this point on Twitter, but because um, my investment is in that network, you know, my personal network, you know, is, is based on WordPress, luckily. So, you know, I own my own domain, mm-hmm. which every person should do as soon as they get it, or every parent should buy their kid their own domain, .com, so they can control their own, you know, persona. Yeah. You know, Donald Trump does it, but he maybe he owns DonaldTrump.com because he can afford it. He doesn't need it, but it sure sure would help any kid today to make sure they own the search of their own name. Right. And you can't own the search of your own name unless you own the dot com. And it's a big mistake if you believe in the internet, the kid, you know, so my kids own their own domains. They may own their own Facebook profile, but what's that worth? That's only worth as much as Facebook will charge people to look at it. Um so uh, you know, Twitter, so that's my network that I, you know, kind of built my brand, that in WordPress. So I think when I saw Twitter, I was like, oh my God, this is stupid. It took me like 50 times before calling it stupid 50 times before I had an aha moment and said, well, this is going to be great for financial information. You know, one day the president will be tweeting about the stock market. That's what I kind of wrote in 2007 when I had my aha moment. And then I went all in on, you know, there's going to be another Bloomberg and it'll be free and it'll be, you know, all these smart people on Twitter talking about stocks and markets and, you know, set me down this path of stock twits and all my investing in Robinhood and eToro and kind of what I'm doing today. I had this big vision that, you know, CNBC would be on YouTube. So I started Wall Strip and we sold that to CBS. I had this big vision that Twitter would be the next Bloomberg. So I started stock twits. And I had this big vision that, you know, there'd be another E-Trade and that turned out to be eToro and Robinhood, which I was a seed investor in. So kind of just everything that I experienced as a 20-year-old in the stock market and, you know, in the internet boom, I just kind of projected onto the social boom and uh, kind of got it right. So is that when, when you look at your portfolio companies now, I think uh, if you look on your website, there's over 125. So there's much more than just like the, um, the ones that are focused on financial markets. So was that sort of the path you took? You started with something in financial markets, eToro, uh, the Robinhood, obviously your own company, and then you sort of branched out from there? Yeah. I mean, the first one, obviously the grip, which, you know, was yeah. pre-internet, but it was consumer. I mean, I'm really fascinated by consumer products. So like today, Manscaped is like my favorite company yeah. ever, and it has nothing to do with tech other than it is a website and is, you know, a great uh, uh, marketing company. And I think that's more of the future is like tech kind of bleeds into the background, like your AirPods. And now you got to come up with creative marketing and not just the product anymore. You got to be able to market it, you know, and in an era where Facebook ads and Google ads are expensive, you meaning they figured out how to charge you to pay for the customer. Um, now you have to go back to the basic, you know, blocking and tackling of building a real business. But, uh, but 
but I digress. Meaning, you know, the golf, I love golf. Uh, yeah. I, I believed, you know, I'd seen some of the internet 1.0 companies build huge companies around uh, inventory management and golf now walked into my room and they were, and they were, you know, helping golf courses do better yield management. So, so the best businesses in the world are logistics and yield management period. End of story. If you look, you know, because the scale and the uh, margins and well, it's endless scale and endless margins, if you can match buyers and sellers, uh, whether it's, it's NASDAQ or CME or eBay, you know what I mean? The best businesses. Um, so golf now just happened to be all that for golf. Um, but there's just not that many opportunities to, to do that. And they generally need lots of capital and I don't have lots of capital, but golf now was just, was a perfect, you know, idea at the right time. LifeLock was more about <clears throat> a pure marketing company. You know, obviously they had a product and they sold identity uh, insurance, identity theft insurance. So it was like kind of a perfect marketing company with a great, you know, Todd Davis, a great CEO and a great simple business idea. And it was in my backyard and, and I did it. Uh, they're not fintech companies per se, but, uh, but once I started dabbling myself as an entrepreneur, I was definitely going to be in fintech. And that's where I came up with Wall Strip, which was basically, let's just build, you know, CNBC, which I hated. Let's just put that on YouTube and see what happens. And yeah, six months later, CBS acquired us. And then with Stocktwits and Twitter, same thing. And with eToro and Robinhood, same thing. And today, I, you know, the future for me is more about, I've built up all this trust. Let's go attack the wealth management industry. Uh, which is, you know, my next probably 10 years, 20 years. And, and when you, cause you're, you're seed state, so you're not, uh, you're not invested yeah. in the company. Yeah. So yeah. what are you, what are you looking for? Like, well, that's still a risk on your part. So are you, are you founder? Are you founder centric? Like, what are you looking for when you invest? Yeah, I'd say it's founder centric. I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't have the tech skills to be platform or, or geek centric. I'm, I'm founder centric you know, domain experience, uh, a lot of it is serendipitous, but I have my own, you know, people find me through my blog and through, you know, no one's going to pitch me a biotech deal because if they do, they'd be dumb. Uh, <laughs> what, what added value am I? I mean, people do, but I don't, I don't have, you know, it makes it easy not to respond. Um, so by putting myself out there, I'm curating, I'm just, it's like dating. It's no different than yeah. be, before the internet and you're dating. If you put on cologne and you go to a bar, you're going to attract something. Yeah. Uh, so by writing every day and telling people what interests me, then other people with those same interests in me pitch me things. And that's that's generally how uh, you found like the companies you're working with now. Well, that's my edge, right? I'm not yeah. constantly having to be on a plane, showing up at these events, looking for the hot, sweaty new company, and paying market prices. I'm telling people what I'm looking for and and showing people what I'm an expert in, and then the pe the other experts in the field look to me. So it's kind of like you fake it till you make it because you're passionate about a subject. And then all of a sudden, mm -hmm. after 20 years, you're an expert. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that I really liked uh, that sort of stood out for me, it's a tagline on your website, um, investing for profit and joy. So I know a lot of people invest for profit. What does that mean uh, to you? Or what, what, well, what I mean, it means, and, and with StockTwitch too, is like there's no quick way. Like I just went through 20 years of how I became an expert overnight. Um, yeah. There's no quick way to do it. I think with StockTwitch, Twitter, uh, well, what's, whatever it is that the apps that we're using, you can 
maybe increase, you know, certain industries you can become a success overnight, truly. I mean, that's, you know, it's unfair, but it happens. Uh, it's just not normal. Um, but there's no such thing as an overnight success, but this, these products speed everything up. So that's the fun part. You know, if I was, if I was 30 and, and depressed, what a, what a horrible waste of time that would be sadly. Right. But you know, uh, cause this is the greatest time luckily in America to be alive, no matter almost what your zip code is. But, um, you know, you have to, you have to kind of find mentors, be a mentor and really stick to your passion right mm -hmm. and the f and and it's happening earlier and earlier for kids uh which is great uh you know i kind of wandered in the desert until i was 40. um and so you know the so for me it's founder and their domain experience and trying to trick them and convince them that it's, you know, being a founder is not that fun. Like most of the time I'm trying to talk people out of their business and that's, you yeah. know, because I know with stock twits, you know, it's, it's been a grind 12 years with wall strip. It was a miracle. Uh, stock twits is a better idea than wall strip. And you know, you make more money off wall strip than they do. It. So there's no predicting this. So with founders, I'm trying to explain to them the good, the bad, the ugly. Everybody's so excited and they got their idea and they're so passionate and they understand the hole in the market that they got to penetrate. But I'm generally probing and saying, are you sure you want to do this for 12 years? Look where I am. Um, and so you're trying to like see if these people are really up for 10 to 12 years. Yeah, because if, if not, That's I think- That's what it takes. That's what it yeah. takes. Even if your company is great, Robinhood's seven years already. Sounds like an overnight success, but it, for the founders, it's probably a grind at this point. No, they're wealthy, but I'm saying, you know, eToro's 10 years, you know, it's rarely that at three years you're going to be successful. And I don't think the, the amount of, of energy invested or the amount of energy required, excuse me, is, is really, uh, is really apparent to people that are first time founders or CEOs. I think they, they have it, like you said, they have an idea and they have no idea how many hours invested, how much energy it'll take, the, the stress that it will probably cause. Uh, regardless of whether or not it's successful. Um, so I think that as you know, you do, you do a lot of these deals. I think that that's probably the best way to approach it just because if not, you're going to, uh, regardless of whether or not the company is successful, you're, you know, you really want people to align with you who, who are happy that they've aligned with you. Like you want that value to, to come from both sides, right? So you they want have to align. And, and so the difference of investing today as a seed versus past is before I, I, 10 years ago, I didn't necessarily need to meet the CEO, right? It was just such a, you know, such a Cambrian explosion moment of, you know, and this is what, where people are going to make massive mistakes right now is, you know, forgetting Uber because that was 2009, 2010, but 2005, 6, 7, 8, no matter what you touched, if they were connected to YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, you were going to get rich because the arbitrage of getting a customer versus the value of a customer was just so in line with being a founder or an investor. Today, the, everybody's smarter and prices are more you know, elevated and markets are more efficient for all this social and media and, and messaging. It's much harder. But so I caught this Cambrian way where you could write a 25K check, uh, hearing a pitch over an internet, over an email and, and make money. I don't think people are gonna be as lucky today. So you know, luckily for us, we're a bigger fund. We don't write checks on the whim. 
we spend a lot of time, you know, they say if you have a great idea, you know, get drunk and, and see if that idea is as good tomorrow. And I think <laughs> the same thing with investing in startups. You got to spend a lot of time with the founders before you write the check. And we're just upfront now. We're like, we're not writing 100K drunken check. It's like, here's yeah. how we work. Uh, here's what we do. We move pretty fast relative to the other nitwits in our industry or, or geniuses. And so we're very upfront about how we do things in our process, but you know, we, we're, we're all for quick no's and quick yeses, but they're within reason. Um, I want to pivot a little bit because a lot of people that listen to this podcast are, are in a career. So the, the venture capital the, or the seed funding bit, uh, I think it definitely is interesting. Um, I love speaking to people who have invested. Um, but what I do want to talk about uh, is one of, the, one of the points on your website, uh, everyone should be an investor. And I think that that's very, uh, very applicable to people that are um, within organizations that are looking to set themselves up for their future and to be comfortable, even if they don't want to start a business, they still, they still need to dabble to some extent in financial markets. And obviously some of the portfolio companies that, uh, that you've invested in and that you, you know, you've worked with um, sort of help them do that. But why, why should everyone be an investor? Uh, because they can. Because uh, because every parent, it's now every parent's duty to do that. Uh, so it's not every kid should be an investor. It's shame on parents, you know, because the schools aren't going to do it. It's shame mm-hmm. on parents for not this. The on-ramp is, is, is everywhere, whether it's Robinhood or Stash or Wealthfront or everybody can have an account, uh, at least when they're 18. Uh, every parent should open an account for a kid that's 12 to 15 and buy them one share. You know, you can buy a share for nothing. For yeah. no commission. So everybody can buy, put $50 now on Amazon or $20 on Nike or $5 on Lulu, whatever your favorite companies are and, and see how the market will work. So that's what I mean about everybody should be an investor. You know, um, the fact that everybody's praising Warren Buffett, who's, who's 90, great, you know, he earned it, but the, we should be talking about the next 20 year old. Uh, we should be bringing those, we should be celebrating the, the new investors. And that means, you know, more distribution, more opportunities. And, and so with the, with the stuff that we've been investing in for 10 years, our vision was there were going to be hundreds of millions of more people that have access to investing. It'd be very hard to lose money uh, with that thesis, you know, in hindsight today, yeah. uh, which luckily we, we think we're still at the beginning, you know, the, the world's changing, but we're still at the beginning. Now that these hundreds of millions of people have access to investing, what's next? And that'll probably just be more investing and education and media. Uh, but now that everybody can invest, that's why I said they should invest. Um, because, you know, uh, everybody should, should feel that ownership and be able to vote and say how they feel about companies. You know, you can vote every day by just not owning. You hate Marlboro you just, or yeah. Philip Morris. You don't have to own the stock but if you, or Exxon. But if you love Nike... You should be able to vote with your money and put $5 a month on that and uh, see how the markets work and how compounding works. It's really quite easy. So that's so I what think I, I, I agree with you. I, I 100% agree with you. Um, the reason why I, I bring this up uh, is because the tools are there, um, but the education isn't. So how the does education somebody... is, I mean, Twitter's yeah. free and there's tons of people on stock. So, yeah, that's what I'm getting at. So, so how, where, where should people be looking? Because obviously traditional education is not to the caliber, right? That, that you would well, want to be. Well, they don't even be. have to look, right? Like they can open up 
uh, Robinhood app uh, and put 20 bucks in and buy a share of their, for $20 of their favorite stock. So they don't need a mentor to do that. That's just, you know, uh, the power of compounding is what people need to know is, you know, mm -hmm. putting, you know, interest rates and, and, and the farther you are away from retirement, the more aggressive you should be. But if you compound, you know, 10 bucks at 8% a year over 50 years, you know, I don't have the math in my head. It's a massive <laughs> amount of, once you do that basic math, you have to be nuts not to put dollars every month into the market. And that's why Acorns was such a popular app, right? It just tricks you yeah. to save money in the market. You know, it, you know, before the internet, it was like, oh, well, you know, pay yourself first. Uh, you know, no one pays themselves first. Everybody's living month to month and everybody can barely afford to live. But Acorns is kind of like a hack, a trick to yeah. take $5. You know, my son's on Acorns and he can't afford it. But every week it's sneaking $5 out of his account and it rounds up all his spending, puts it into an ETF. So, uh, you know, between Acorns and Robinhood and StockTwits and Twitter, you can find mentorship. You know, just follow me on StockTwits or ask me a question. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's good. And uh, I, I do like that a lot of the companies that you work with do enable this because um, I, I'm, I always think about employees in organizations where uh, pensions are really not a thing compared to what they were like 50 years ago, right? Like now, it's, it's sort of on, it's the onus is on the employee to really set themselves up. And I, I don't think enough people are, are sort of learning about Acorn, Robinhood, anything really. Um, I think that more people should be sort of learning about how to set yourself up to be financially uh, comfortable. And I think a lot of that comes from investing, obviously, um, compounding. Uh, but that's, I think it's like, I think there's not enough push in that direction. For in my opinion, I don't think there's enough push in that direction because I think that the education's out there, but the I guess the the I don't know the, the gateway the the gateway drug into investing is it rests on the parents, right? And they they didn't. I live think it rests that. on the parents. They should be saving for their kids. You know, keep it yeah. simple. I, you know, I'm not a tax person, so, but I'm like, make it simple. Show your kids. You know. Uh, include them in the decisions. They know which products they love and explain to them those things. You don't have to make it mathematical. It's just, it's just objects and brands, right? Like, do you like, what products do you use every day? Well, if you're using them every day, it makes sense that other people are and put a few bucks behind that. I mean, I can keep it as simple as possible. Yeah, I call it eight to 80 brands, right? Like if, you're, if an eight-year-old uses the product and 80-year-olds use the product and you're not invested in that company, you're kind of insane. <laughs> That's a good, uh, I like, uh, so I, Netflix, I like the rule. Yeah. You know, Uber, uh, not that they, you should just buy the stocks today and, and that's going to, they're going to go up forever. Uh, you have to man, you have to monitor them. And sometimes it's better to buy them when they're in down 30%, of course. Uh, but if it's an eight to 80 brand, uh, you should be hoping they drop 50%. As long as eight year olds and 80 year olds continue to use it. And basically now like with Google, it's infants to death. Right. Yeah. Very hard to bet against a company that has people locked in as their infants uh, and also uh, on their deathbeds. So, you know, going beyond that strategy, you don't really need to do that. Right. If you find companies and products that 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 every age group is using, then just stick with that. I want to um, when when I'm closing this out, I want to pull out some life, some higher level life lessons out of you. Uh, but what I before I go into that. I only uh, I only have a couple minutes. I apologize, but I got that. No, 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 that's fine. We're gonna we're gonna close it up. Is there anything else that that you wanted to to bring up 
um, in terms of uh, what you're doing now that we didn't cover? Um, yeah, I mean, what, what I'm doing now is just more of the same. Just, you know, I don't want to like write bigger checks. We want to continue to write, you know, uh, leading checks into great founders and the financial services and enterprise space and consumer products. Um, but, uh, you know, it's easy to find me on, you know, howardlinden.com, uh, you know, pretty friendly. If you come on stock twits and ask questions about investing, I'll, I'll do it. Same, just add Howard Linden. And then on Twitter, I don't talk about stocks that much, but you know, more about venture capital and goofing off. But, uh, you know, I, I would give this, if, if, if to be mentored, you can't, you know, the social, I would say social matters, right? Social graces, you know, you, you know, back in the day when I was cold calling, I hated it because people weren't expecting my call and it was intrusive. So if you, you know, if you're inspired by somebody, don't ask them, Hey, I've got the next Google. Like you have to yeah. kind of do this foreplay thing. Kids don't understand foreplay because they have Tinder and they're just getting right to it on the yeah. first text. But it's not their fault. That's just life. But, you know, kids are going to have to learn this foreplay thing where you can't just ask and expect, you know, people that have put 20 years in to tell you their uh, life secrets. Uh, you have to kind of just kind of eavesdrop and say thank you. And you kind of got to learn to wait for the right moment. Yeah, I mean, you can ask for whatever you want. Maybe you'll get it. But, you know, generally you have to kind of pay your dues a little bit. Luckily, you yeah. can do it, you know, in an elegant way by just being nice. You actually, uh, you actually, you inadvertently nailed my last question. I just wanted to ask, like, the advice you give your younger self, and it, it yeah, sounds like self, that was. I was yeah. pretty good, right? Like, I, you know, yeah. back then I had to do a job just to survive. Today, a kids shouldn't have to do that. Maybe yeah. they do, but like, there's so many tools and so many things they can do in their spare times and gigs they can take. But you know, people need to just be a little patient and put in the work. Uh, trying to do their 10,000 hours, you know, step one uh, and, and, and uh, you know, pay it forward. But a, a lot of it is just common sense, you know, social common sense um, and how to behave. And even though it's digital groups, you have to learn how to behave in a digital group. Yeah. No, that's very good. Um, so that's all I got. Uh, is there anything yeah, else you wanted to close up with? No, I appreciate it. Just sorry I got a hop, but uh, I appreciate the uh, good questions. It's fun to talk about the past. Yeah, and the no, future, well, that's, right? that's what bold. I wanted to get out of it because your, your, your background is really impressive and I like to I like sort of map out that story from you know, where you started to where you're, you're at now. But thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. See you, Scott. All right, cheers. All right, cheers. cheers. Bye now. All right. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Sales versus Marketing Podcast. Uh, thank you so much, Howard, for the chat. Um, that was a really good session. Uh, I hope that everybody got a little bit out of that. Uh, Howard's a really impressive individual. Uh, just what he's been able to accomplish uh, throughout his career and, and what he's doing now as well with his, his portfolio companies um, and his investments. I would suggest you go, uh, go consume some of uh, his content. He writes a lot about business, life, investing, startups, uh, finance. He just, he's, a, he's a very well-spoken individual. Um, so go check out his, uh, his content. Uh, as always, if you haven't already, please, uh, please like, subscribe, um, and share this podcast with all your friends, family, peers, coworkers. Uh, if, you, if you haven't already, um, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever podcasts are found, including Spotify, iTunes, uh, Acast, Google, uh, over, uh, Overcast. 
it's literally on any podcast outlet. So go check it out. Um, and as always, have a, have a great week, have a productive week, and we will speak again soon. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Sales versus Marketing Podcast, brought to you by ROI Overload. Delivering strategy, technology, and insights to both sales and marketing leaders and teams globally. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. 
This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much, Indeed, for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 